0: This podcast includes descriptions of violence and death. Please take care while listening. I'm live. It's late May 2020. Tens of thousands, maybe even millions, of people are waving signs and marching through cities across America.
1: No peace.
0: They're protesting. Police. One crowd moves through downtown Tacoma, Washington, under a gray Pacific Northwest sky. A woman in a black hoodie, a little apart from the crowd, follows the sound of the chanting. can't
1: see me How are you doing? <laughs> All right, I'm like, I okay, can't see. I you got your face covered or nothing, okay? guys.
0: <laughs> Monet Carter Mixon gets closer to the heart of the action, weaving through the crowd.
2: I'm like, getting
3: emotional and shit. I can't even do it.
0: For many of them, this protest is about the death of George Floyd, 1,700 miles away in Minneapolis to Monet, this protest is an opportunity. She asks people marching around her if they know about something that happened right here in Tacoma, three months earlier, to a different Black man.
3: If you guys, like, saw anything, heard anything, know anybody that saw anything, heard anything, message me, hit me up. I know you don't want to talk to the police, but contact me, like, let me know.
2: You should have a picture or something.
3: I saw someone with his picture up. I was like, do you know who that is? And then she's like, no, I was like, that's my brother. He was killed.
0: Monet's older brother, Manuel Ellis — everybody called him Manny — was walking home one night when he crossed paths with police on a Tacoma street corner. He died there. That's all Monet really knows. So she came to the protest looking for answers, to try to figure out what the hell happened that night.
3: Do you know anybody that saw anything? Like, that's what I was doing. and I had spoke to everybody like in the crowd and I you know I just said like if you guys know anybody that lives in that area if you know like, what happened like just just hit me up LP! LP!
0: Monet doesn't know how long this moment will last but all of a sudden the deaths of black people at the hands of police are international news They've become symbols of these deep, pervasive problems in society. For whatever reason, lots of people are paying attention to George Floyd's death. Maybe, Monet thinks, they'll pay attention to Manny's too. If she can find a way to take advantage of this moment, she has a chance at figuring out the truth about how Manny died. From KNKX Public Radio and The Seattle Times, this is The Walk Home. I'm Maya Aina. I grew up here in Tacoma. I think most people can remember where they were when they heard about George Floyd. Maybe they saw the viral video. I heard about it, but I didn't want to see it. To this day, I still haven't. I've never needed to. My mind was already full of stories of black children, men and women being killed or brutalized. First, I learned about them as historical events, like Emmett Till. Then I inherited stories from my parents about Rodney King and from my older brothers about guys like Sean Bell. Then I started collecting my own names. My first was Trayvon Martin, then Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Sandra Bland. By the time I heard about George Floyd, I was tired, really tired. Then I started seeing the name Manny Ellis come across my timeline. To be honest, by that point, I wasn't just tired. I was numb. It wasn't until I moved back home to Tacoma and learned more about Manny from my friends that I realized what actually happened. Manny's death brought a reckoning to my hometown, the way George Floyd's killing did for America.
2: A lot of people here feel that Tacoma's really special. People think that Tacoma is sometimes immune from these things that happen in the world. I think it made people realize, like, this shit really happens. There was a dark cloud. Mm -hmm. Like it felt very heavy, very dark, and very hard to avoid.
0: It really set in for me that like, wow, like all of America is being affected by this and like my own city is in danger. (laughs) Like the people around me like need protection. Like you could feel like our,
2: our city crying, like weeping. Like it felt like very grieved. Everything felt so grieved. Because of that close-knit feeling in Tacoma, like, okay, that was somebody that I knew. Or if I didn't know him personally, I knew his sister. If I didn't know his sister, like, I knew somebody who really loved him. That combination of things was kind of a wake-up call for people to be like, oh, we have a problem here.
0: But Manny's story, this story that grieved my city, this wake-up call, almost went unheard. The only reason we know about this story is because of one woman. She challenged the media, the police department and local officials, the state government, even her own family at times, to get answers. Manny's little sister, Monet. My colleague, Kari Plogue has spent two years reporting this story and getting
1: to know her. When I ask Monet carter mixon to describe herself, the first thing she says is, I'm a mom. She has six kids. All of them are under
3: 13. I'm kind of just like a regular, regular person. I'm not, I don't feel
1: like I'm anybody but that. She was a single mom for a long time, but now she's a newlywed, and her family is everything. I'm
3: a homebody.
1: I don't really like to
3: party or do any of that other stuff. I picked up hiking when I met my husband, which I never would have thought in a million years that I would be A hiker, but here I
1: am. What stands Uh, out about Monet is how brutally honest she is. She doesn't have time to dance around stuff. Even when she talks about horrible things. Especially when she talks about horrible things. It kind of threw me off at first. Her tone doesn't change much. She just shuts off her feelings and tells the facts. One of the few times she couldn't shut them off was when I asked her about a phone call. I want to talk about that day. At any point in time, if there's something that you don't want to talk about or if you need to take a break, you just let me know, okay?
3: Okay. Sorry, I'm getting emotional now. (laughs) Oh, I
1: hate this.
3: The good, like, I don't mind talking about the good or just, like, our relationship because it it helps me. Like, it makes me feel like it's, it's real, it was genuine, like, all of that. But then, like, the fucked up stuff, like, what they did, I literally, like, like last night, I had a nightmare.
1: This phone call came in early March 2020, three months before she showed up at that protest looking for answers. George Floyd was still alive in Minneapolis. People were worried about a new coronavirus spreading around the world. Monet was in her late 20s trying to balance raising five kids on her own and a new job, answering phones for a hospital system in Tacoma.
3: I was really stressed out because... You know, my kids were acting up in school. I was worried that I wasn't going to—because, you know, they have probation periods with jobs. So I was worried, like, I wasn't going to keep my job because I didn't have all the support that I needed.
1: It was just—it was a lot. While she was at work, Monet missed a call.
2: Ma'am, my name is Rich. I'm with the Pierce County Medical Examiner's Office. You can give me a call at area code 253
1: Monet had a newborn at home. She was breastfeeding and taking regular pumping breaks at work.
3: So on my way to go pump, I called him back, and he, you know, he introduced himself. Hi, my name's Rich. I'm from the Pierce County Medical Examiner's Office. Is now a good time to talk? And I was like, yeah, I'm at work. I'm getting ready to pump, so I have time, yeah. And he was like, oh, you're at work? He's like, well, are you in a safe place? Like, you're not driving or anything, are you? No, like, why are you asking me if I'm driving? And he was like, well, um, I, had, I had your name as an emergency contact for Emmanuel Ellis. And I was like, yeah, that's my brother. Is there a chair? Can you sit down? And I'm like, what? Why are you asking me all these questions? Like, what are you, why are you calling me for? Dude, I'm trying to pump. Like, I'm on a schedule. Like, I have stuff I have to do. He had said, okay, well, I just want to let you know that I have your brother's body here with me. What? Your brother? He passed away. Early this morning.
1: What? Manny? Monet doesn't really remember what happened next. She thinks she threw her phone.
3: I don't know. I flipped out. I was crying. I, like, fell to the ground, I know. I'm pretty sure everyone's had their heart broken before. You know, like, like your first love and that, like, pain, like, in your chest where, like, you just can't breathe. You can't eat. So imagine, like, that times 20. That's what it feels like.
1: First, she called her mom, Marcia.
3: I just said, like, you know, Manny's gone. She was like, gone? What do you mean gone? Gone where? What are you talking about? You're supposed to be at work. Why are you calling? And I'm like, he's dead, Mom. He's dead.
1: They just called me and said he's dead. Monet has another older brother, Matthew. She called him next. He was angry. I remember he was like, what are you talking about? What are you, what are you talking about?
3: He was really, really angry. And immediately, me and my brother were just like, "Like, what, the, what? what happened?
1: Manny was 33, older than Monet. But his sister had a reputation in the family. Still does, actually. They call her the little big sister.
3: I couldn't really be the baby because in, like, in a black household, black daughters, especially firstborn black daughters, you're the oldest. If the kitchen was messed up, if a bathroom was messed up, bathroom that I didn't even use, usually it was Manny that was messing everything up. Monet, why don't you clean this up? Why didn't you do that? Once I got to be about like seven, eight years old, I had to grow up.
1: Despite all of that, she didn't take herself too seriously. Matthew, the oldest, was the mature one. Manny was the clown. Monet was more like him. She always wanted to tag along and keep up. She says in the family, they were the free-spirited ones. And they understood each other. Monet says she and Manny were both sexually abused by family members as kids. They each found their own ways to cope. As they grew up, Monet became the stable one. Manny was the one who needed stability. Over the years, Monet pushed Manny to get treatment for mental illness and drug addiction. Manny even lived with her on and off. He loved my kids. He was my designated
3: babysitter. When they would have to take a time out from daycare or school, that's where they would go with their Uncle Manny. All the births, he was there. He was just like my—he was my brother, of course, but as we got older, like, he just was really like my, my best friend.
1: But everybody in the family worried about Manny a lot, where he was sleeping, what he was doing. Monet quickly figured out when it was fine for him to come around her and the kids, and when it was best for him to stay away. Then, just a few months before Monet got this call, Manny's family started noticing a change. Manny had moved into a sober home, where he was figuring out what he would do next. He was going to church three or four days a week. Monet had just talked to him. Two days earlier, the night before he died, they talked on the phone for five hours.
3: We had a really, like, long, in-depth conversation about, like, religion. There is a God. I know that there's a higher power. And I know that, like, it's, it's something, you know. But the way that I am, if something doesn't make sense, I'm going to question it and question it. I'm going to harass you and impress you about it. Because <laughs> it's like, no, something's not adding up. Because there's so much, like, bullshit associated
1: with it. This is who they are. Monet is a questioner. Manny, she says, was a diplomat. He didn't try to change her mind. He tried to make her feel better about her doubts. And he opened up to her about finding religion again.
3: He always talked about church and then, like, the the different people at the church and their different personalities and... How he, you know, he kept saying, like, I really found my purpose, like, I'm enjoying this. Like, that's what I needed. I just needed to get back to, like, going to church and, like, being in the band, because that's basically, like, how I get a high. Like, it I feel, like, good when I do this. He would send me videos of him playing the drums, like, what did you think of that? Do you think I did a good job? Manny's never just sat down and said, this is what I want to do with my life. I found this. Like, I I see where my life is headed, and I, I want to go in this direction. He's never done that. I was really proud of him.
1: Manny having that conversation and ending up dead the next day. It didn't make sense. What happened? How did he die? But when Monet walked into her mom's living room that day, where her family was waiting for her, their heads were somewhere else. They were talking about burying Manny. Why are we talking about funeral arrangements?
3: In my head, I was thinking, we can't put him into the dirt
1: until we figure out what happened to him. Then Monet's oldest brother, Matthew, sent her a news article he had seen on Facebook. He didn't think anything of it when he first saw it. Just a typical story in Tacoma. But now that they knew Manny was dead, this article read differently. It was from Tacoma's newspaper, the News Tribune.
3: If I can turn it because my nails... Okay, so a man died within minutes of being arrested Tuesday for repeatedly hitting a Tacoma patrol car and struggling with officers According to the Pierce County Sheriff's Department, the 33-year-old has not been
1: identified. This article doesn't mention Manny's name. But as Monet read the details, she quickly realized the story was about him. It tells law enforcement's version of what happened.
3: Okay, so officials said he showed symptoms consistent with excited delirium, but a cause of death has not been determined Excited delirium often includes attempts at violence, unexpected strength, and very high body temperature.
1: Excited delirium is the explanation police give when someone acts bizarre, paranoid, and violent, seems to have superhuman strength, overheats, and in some cases suddenly dies, usually because their heart stops. But doctors disagree about whether it's real or not. Monet keeps reading. The incident occurred about
3: 11.20 p.m. when the man ran up to a patrol car at the intersection of 96th Street, South and Ainsworth Avenue, and began striking the vehicle. Officers notified dispatch they needed backup and got out of their patrol car. As the officers exited their vehicle, they were immediately attacked by the man, Sheriff Spokesman Ed Troyer said. They struggled with the man for two minutes as Tacoma police officers... And sheriff's deputies responded to the scene. Police managed to handcuff the man, but he allegedly <laughs> he allegedly continued to struggle. How the fuck are you supposed to handcuff somebody, but they still struggle? And if they are handcuffed, what like why are you?
1: <sighs> the article says firefighters showed up. Manny lost consciousness. They tried reviving him for 40 minutes, but he never woke up. That's what the story says about Manny's death. The rest of it is about an arrest he had six months earlier.
3: He was awaiting trial on a second-degree robbery charge after allegedly holding up a Tacoma fast food restaurant on September 21st. In that incident, the man punched several employees and ran outside, stripped off his clothes, and sprinted down the street. Deputies used a stun gun on the man because he resisted arrest and struggled, court records say. He allegedly told paramedics he was high on methamphetamine and marijuana and didn't remember what happened.
1: that's it. This story from law enforcement, it has an implicit message that Manny was a criminal with a record who used drugs. The type of person who would attack a police car for no reason and fight with officers the type of person who would have a sudden medical episode and just stop breathing. The message is that the circumstances of Manny's death are normal, something tragic that just happens sometimes. But to Monet, the Manny in that article sounded like a stranger.
3: I was in disbelief. Manny's not going to fight anybody or hit anybody, especially if he was in his right mind. Even if he was in his wrong mind, he would still try and smooth talk his way out of something. But be aggressive towards someone that has complete, basically
1: control over you and your freedom. He's not going to risk that. Monet was in shock. She was grieving. But there was another feeling nagging at her. That there was more to the story.
0: Support for the walk home and KNKX comes from Movetotacoma.com. Movetotacoma.com is a neighborhood guide, a blog, and a podcast to help people in Tacoma, Pierce County, and beyond find their place
2: in the city of destiny. More information at Movetotacoma.com. Race might be a hot topic right now, but for so many of us, talking about race is nothing new. On the Code Switch podcast from NPR, we go beyond the headlines, and we go deep. Listen now.
0: Hi, I'm Will James. I make special projects at KNKX, like this one. Making these sorts of long-term projects, it's a lot. It's like putting together a 100,000-piece puzzle after all the pieces have been dumped out of a helicopter. You've gotta go digging for all these facts and then figure out how they all fit together. It's worth it, though. I think storytelling with depth and context is so important right now because, frankly, this is a confusing time to be alive. That's why I'm asking you to help KNKX make more projects like The Walk Home by donating at knkx.org today. I really appreciate it. Let me take you to my hometown. When you're driving on the interstate south from Seattle, in about 40 minutes, you get to this messy set of lane changes and overpasses. There's always construction. There's always traffic. To the right, you see a hill covered in buildings. A dome-shaped event venue rises up along the road. That's the Tacoma Dome. Steam pours out from industrial buildings on the port. This is how a lot of people see Tacoma, Washington, from the freeway, just passing through. Tacoma is a second city. Just like that Oakland-San Francisco relationship or St. Paul and Minneapolis, Tacoma has a bigger, more famous city nearby, Seattle. And it gets compared to it all the time. But we have our own flavor. Tacoma just has like a very specific aura and like it's just so comfortable like being around people that are from Tacoma because it's just like, I
3: don't
2: know, it's just cozy. I genuinely feel like it's like being around the side of the family that you like the most. Yes. You know what I'm
3: saying? Like You gotta be a certain way around the other type of family, but this family, is it's like
2: all your cousins. Yes, yes. It can be a little rough around the edges, but like if you wanna find space to, to be you, to figure out who you are, Tacoma's a good place to start.
0: A lot of outsiders don't get it though. They might know Tacoma from the TV show, Cops, or maybe they've heard it's where serial killer Ted Bundy grew up. Whether it's because of media coverage, a history of gang violence, a history of being working class, smaller, poorer, blacker. People who don't live here think it's more dangerous than other places. They think it stinks. Literally. (laughs) Okay, to be fair, it kind of does. But it comes from the port. They call it the Tacoma Aroma. It kind of smells like a fart, but... It's really not as bad as people make it seem.
3: The obvious thing is, is like, people know about Tacoma aroma, Roma, and like, if that's all that you know, then like, whatever.
2: Like, there was this tension, like, oh, you're from Tacoma, you know, whatever, Tacoma aroma, or Roma, or your ghetto, your hood. Having people be like, oh, you're from Tacoma, you know? It's like, oh, maybe I should hate myself, <laughs> you know? Even that
3: within Tacoma is the same thing, right? So like, when I would talk to folks in Tacoma, I'd say, like, I'm a teacher, and they're like, oh, where do you work? Oh, I work in Lincoln High School. Oh, and we call that the Lincoln O. A lot of the, like, Tacoma is hood, Tacoma, this, is really just veiled anti-black racism, whether people want to, like, acknowledge that or not.
0: In the Pacific Northwest, one of the whitest areas of the country, Tacoma is one of the blackest cities. Growing up here, you learn to expect the jokes, the sneak disses, and the skeptical faces. We all have our own defense mechanisms and comebacks. Even people who move here learn pretty quickly what's up.
3: We'll post something like just a pretty picture of the city or something, let's say like, something positive about the city and someone will just take an opportunity to share their negative opinions of the city.
0: That's Sierra Hartman. He and Sarah Kay co-own a popular hyper-local magazine celebrating the town. Someone decided to leave a review on their site, but it wasn't a review of the mag. It was a review of Tacoma, one star. It was like, great place if you'd like to get raped and
2: murdered.
1: Yeah. For, like, the entire 20th century, everyone in the world, really, and especially in the region, just looked down on Tacoma. You know, it's the gritty port city, and they always said it, like, as a derogatory term.
0: And when you've been shit on for so long, you take on a certain attitude.
2: Come here or don't. Have fun or don't. Like, I'm not gonna beg you.
3: I just lean into it, like, yeah, Tacoma's terrible. Like, there's nothing fun to do here. You'll probably get murdered and your car stolen.
2: Come hang, or go away.
3: The underdog chip on your shoulder, you will not disrespect my townness that the city has, it's something that I appreciate.
2: Some people make that adjustment, or like, they won't say they're from Tacoma after getting so much of that pressure, versus like, I feel like a lot of us end up being, like, standing our ground. And so if people wanna talk
0: shit about us, we don't care.
2: There's nothing else that I'd rather represent. If
0: you want to come here and experience
2: it for yourself, that's awesome. And you can like it or leave it. Tacoma versus everybody, period. For better or for worse, like Tacoma will ride for Tacoma. From people saying things like, oh, Tacoma, it has a a smell or Tacoma is Tacompton, as people like to say, which is both an insult to Tacoma and Compton. 100%. But, um, you know, but like, if somebody says those things, they better not be somebody who's not from Tacoma.
0: <laughs> Almost 100,000 people follow a Facebook page where people post about crime in the city. Photos of missing cars, thieves caught on doorbell cameras, They're kind of making fun of Tacoma and playing up all the worst stereotypes about it. The page is called Tecompton Files, and this, of all places, is where Monet's investigation into her brother's death begins.
1: Just a couple days after Manny died, while everyone is still taking in the news, Monet's brother Matthew tells her about a post online by the person who runs the Tecompton Files a recording of police radio chatter from that night posted to YouTube the video's title is death while in custody
3: two seven at first I thought it was a video but it was just a sound clip
2: Prior to traffic they
3: they're asking for assistance no,
1: she listens as a dispatcher and officers talk back and forth. It's hard to tell what's going on, or even what they are saying.
2: On scene
1: but once in a while, Monet catches snippets of what is happening at the scene. An officer asks for hobbles to restrain someone's legs.
2: Hey, someone bring some hobbles?
1: A burst of sirens. <whistles> then two seconds of audio.
2: Unreadable. Can't
1: breathe. One more time, a little slower.
2: You can
3: breathe.
1: I, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. It's Manny. Someone at the scene clicked on a radio for two seconds. And in those two seconds, it captured Manny saying, I can't breathe.
3: I just cried because... I heard, like, the plea in his voice. He was scared. And he was, like, begging for them to, like, just let up so he could, like, catch a breath. I don't think Manny knew that he was going to die that night.
1: You said that your brother sounded like he was scared when you heard that. Have you ever heard him sound that way before?
3: Yeah. When we were little, because my dad was really abusive, and so when he would like beg and plead to like not get a whooping, like that's how he would sound. Like desperate, like please, like don't, please.
1: Is that how you knew something wasn't right? Yeah. For sure. Manny crying out that he couldn't breathe, that was never mentioned before. The newspaper article, the story by police, it casts Manny as an aggressor, not someone who was scared. It had been just a couple days since Monet found out her brother died, and she already had a feeling something was wrong. It, like,
3: validated what I already knew. So the first thing was how the news was delivered. The second thing was this article didn't make any sense because it didn't speak to Manny's character or who he really was. The third thing was, is the audio. That was the final thing. That was the
0: affirmation. This moment would change Monet. Eventually it would change Washington state law. And it would bring a national divide about racism and policing right here to Tacoma. This story that nobody paid attention to, it would set up what promises to be one of the most important trials in Pacific
1: Northwest history. We want to know what Manny's life meant and what his death means now. What happened to him can tell us something about the protest movement we all just lived through, something we're still grappling with. What really changed? And can we actually hold anyone accountable? on the next episode of The Walk Home. Monet's investigation collides with the racial justice movement of 2020. We're getting thrown flashbangs right where we're standing there. And in the chaos of that moment, a new piece of information surfaces. Stop!
2: Oh my God, stop hitting me!
0: The Walk Home is a production of KNKX Public Radio and The Seattle Times. It's written and produced by Kari Ploeg, Will James, and me, Mayala Aina. We had help reporting this episode from Seattle Times senior investigative reporter, Patrick Malone. Our editor is Tierra Darnell. Our executive producers are Florangela Davila and Jonathan Martin. Bethany Denton is our mix engineer. Music comes from Tacoma artists Will Jordan, Marcel EC Augustin, and Quincy Q. Henry. Thank you to Jamika Scott, Devon White, Rachel Askew, Jordan Bryant, Nate Bowling, Danielle Bender, and Laniece Kamak. Our logo is by Rotator Creative. Additional audio comes from the Seattle Times videography team. Research by Miyoko Wolfe. And special thanks to the Ellis family for sharing their story.
2: to bring the soul back for you one time do it do it again I tell ah. Uh, soul clap for me one time I'm about to bring the soul back for you one time